Morning, everybody. This is another No Frills Wolves podcast, the first we've had in a while. Uh, Justin Chardon here with Ben Beacon. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's fine. It's snowing here in Washington, D.C., where I attended the Wolves-Wizards game last night, and I had an almost front row seat right behind the Wolves bench, so that was pretty great. Got last-minute tickets to it, and uh, it was, uh, even though they didn't win, it was a fun game most of the way through. Yeah, it was a pretty good game. We got uh, snow here in Oklahoma yesterday, which um, we got uh, three to four inches, which is about enough to shut down everything. So, um, yeah, uh, it, definitely different than three to four inches would be any uh, Minnesota or D.C. for that matter. Right. We haven't had a whole lot here yet, but I'm sure it's coming pretty soon. Uh, I'll enjoy it while I can. Uh, well, we like I said, we haven't done it for a while, so we've got a lot to cover here just in terms of an overall view of, of this season and how it's come to play, and it's not met most people's expectations, including ours. Um, they are 11-25 and 25 right now, and I think you could say we were certainly both wrong and too optimistic about the record that we thought that they would have, but you could say that about the pessimists, too. Nobody thought that they were going to be this bad, at least record-wise. So yeah. the question is, what's going on? It's a really loaded question. There's a lot to it. We'll, and we'll get yeah. to it that's piece by piece, but overall. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – I think uh, there's a couple kind of overarching themes. One is um, it's very rare that a team, especially one who was bad the previous year, succeeds under a new coach, even if that coach is very, very good. Um, and, you know, I guess we, along with many other people, failed to, to really factor that in. Um, that it takes a little while for a new coach, even a even a very very good coach, to implement what he wants to implement for the players to get on the same. I mean, even look at last year, Sam Mitchell it was very last minute, and and I don't think anybody thinks he's a great coach by any stretch. But you know, they started playing better the latter part of the year, and I think a lot of that is getting used to the expectations from Sam, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think on the one hand we'll see a little bit of that this year, and then of course there's the obvious. Um, there's little to no veteran leadership on the team. Um, it's hard to call Ricky Rubio. Uh, I think he's a leader, but he and it, he's a veteran compared to the other guys. But he's 26. Um, and then beyond that, Brandon Rush, who hadn't played in three weeks till last night against the Wizards, um, and Cole Aldrich, who again is only what 27, I think, um, and, not much. and doesn't play much. So I mean, you lose a Kevin Garnett, a Tayshawn Prince, Andre Miller. Um, and I, I don't know if we don't know exactly what went down. So who knows if that was a Tom Thibodeau arrogance type thing where he's like, well, we don't need these guys. I'd rather use the roster spot on somebody that can play a little more or whatever that might be. Um, but but I think that there's a definite lack of of that. Um, and, and, you know, we've even heard the players say that, that they they appreciated having Garnett, especially around last year so much. Um, so I, it's so hard to quantify, but I think there's a combination of, hey, remember, your three best players are 21. Um, and you don't have anybody over the age of 27 that's playing more than 10 minutes a game. And uh, your best players are all very young. And it's a brand-new coach. So I, I think it's it's a confluence of all those things. So I think you you predicted around 500, right? Maybe a little bit more, I forget. Uh as far as win loss record, yeah. yeah, I think I I think I had him at like forty two and forty. And I was a little bit above a couple games above that. So yeah. um you know, I think for me it was partly I started at about five hundred and you know, in the off season about where I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the preseason and watched them just at least for a couple quarters at a time destroy other teams. Several, you know, several games. 
and understanding it was the preseason, saying, well, there's something there's something going on here. So I bumped them up a couple of wins. And you saw that. You've seen that in a lot of games where they go on these big runs and they dominate a couple of quarters, but they haven't, as Thibodeau has been wanting to say, be able to put it together for 48 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, I underestimated how much time it would take to get to that point and you know, probably put too much faith in Thibodeau because of how much success he had right away in Chicago, even though it was not a team made up dominated a 21 year olds. Yeah. Um, you know, understandable, I think. But, yeah, the defense has been slower than expected. There are very few NBA players who get defense this early, especially when you're going to a different system. It's significantly different than the one Mitchell was teaching and. Uh, Flip were teaching. Um, Towns is struggling a little bit more than I thought. I mean, he's still, still doing quite well, but I thought he would be somewhat better. He's been quite inconsistent. And the bench in particular has been a disappointment. I thought they had uh, a good jump in terms of the, the, the quality of depth that they had compared to last year. Uh, but they just generally have disappointed and not played a lot of minutes. Uh, at the, on the other hand, I will point out that if you look at their net rating, and their various team statistics, you look at basketball reference, they, instead of, you know, their actual records 11 and 25, their expected win loss is 16 and 20. They're playing better than their record, which seems to be yep. a theme a lot of these last few years. And if they actually yeah. were 16 and 20, they'd be on, you know, I think most people would be thinking, yeah, they'll probably be better in the second half and they'll be about 500. Yep. So... You know, if you want to look at it optimistically and somewhat realistically, I think you can do that. Yeah, and I don't think that's crazy. I think that um, – and, and I know that it seems like a step forward, two steps back, especially in December because the month started out so bad, and then they, they won two in a row for the first time all year towards the end of December. <clears throat> and then there was – I forget who it was, but there was a bad loss in there right after they won a couple in a row. Um, and and it's almost been – I think I, think I saw – whose article it was but somebody stated the wolves went three and seven in their first 10 games three and seven in their second 10 games and three and seven in their third 10 games um which is kind of crazy um but but it was just it's they had such a such a good second half of december until there were just a couple bad losses in there the king's loss um the loss at the nuggets was disappointing um they could have beaten the trailblazers and then they lost to the sixers now the other day and and and, but like you said, I mean, they're between their expected <laughs> and loss, um, and, and if you take out a couple of, uh, you know, those just crazy losses, um, I mean, they are overall playing better. It's just they're playing their worst at the worst possible times, um, and and I think you know the offense has been good all year. So it's it's just a matter of getting it together on the defensive end. Um, Zach Lowe from ESPN had wrote a, it was about a week ago in his 10 things article one of his things was about the Timberwolves and their defense and how bad it's been yeah. but it's clearly just just 321 year olds <laughs> not fully understanding how to play NBA defense like you said and not understanding that hey you can't have one misstep in a 24 second possession or you're going to likely give up an open shot yeah. um and that's that's the biggest thing so far and i think there's a lot of reason to believe that that will click at some point later in the season it's going to be too late to make the playoffs, but is it going to be too late to make a respectable run at like a 35-win season or something like that? So when teams do not uh, meet expectations, fans look to place blame somewhere. And I think, even though I've, I've mostly stayed off Twitter since the election for various reasons, so I haven't followed as close as I usually have, yep. <clears throat> most of the ire seems to be directed at Wiggins and Thibodeau. Am I mistaken there? 
Uh, I think it depends on which circles you're in, but I I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I would say most. I would say more Thibodeau than Wiggins, but yeah, both. Well, let's start with those two then. Um, Thibodeau, I I am not at all in a panic because they're not winning. My criticism of him really doesn't have to do with that. My concerns are, are the same as they were when he was hired, where I said, you know, summarizing, I guess, this is a good hire, but I have definite concerns. Mm-hmm. And they were about, one, whether he could adapt in the future, you know, to learn from his mistakes in the past and, uh, you know, while continuing the many good things that he's able to do, because he's you know, clearly a top-tier coach. Um, and I think on tactics, he has, I think he's understood, uh, the shift to the three point line, getting rid of a lot of the twos and some other things. I can't, I'm not well enough educated to say whether he's made adaptations on defense or not, but you know, he's been, I think he clearly learned some things in that area and that's good. He's still playing his starters, huge minutes, uh, and he's still calling every single play. And I don't think those two things are sustainable in the long term. That that view has not changed. Uh, I don't think that that's the reason that they're not winning now. So that this is not a criticism of that. This is more about a f- the future for me. I don't think he's uh, to blame for for this record. Uh, you know, I, I don't I, I don't uh, have any significant criticism of that for that. You could take the optimistic view on this that. He's doing both of these things right now. He's, he's being very controlled and, and uh, on every little play because they're so young. And he wants them to really drill it in and, and have them learn the fundamentals so it becomes second nature later and he can back off. Um, that's the optimistic view, and maybe it's true. The pessimistic view is he hasn't learned and he's going to be the same way. And I do think this is a problem because you to, at some point, NBA players, pro athletes generally have to play – uh, largely on instinct. And if you're constantly thinking and, uh, you know, you, the, the coach is barking your ear every play, I think that's a problem long term. And you, you get guys who are unable to figure out novel situations and figure out how to get out of them themselves. Sort of the opposite of the Phil Jackson approach. Yeah. Um, so I'm worried about both of these things. But I'm not, you know, I'm not saying definitely they're not going to change. It could be just because of the type of team that they are now. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple things. So I, I agree that, that, um, there is some concern there and that, and that he could, you know, wear on his players with, I mean, the guy's shouting the entire time after the first possession, he stands up and doesn't sit down all game. And some coaches are that way. Um, you know, if you watch enough basketball, NBA college, you know, there's, there's very different types of coaches. It's a little unusual for an NBA coach, at least not as much the standing, but the shouting the whole time. Um, and to be clear, so I'm certainly, sorry, sorry, to be clear, for me, it's more about the fine control. Right, yeah. right. He's not just yelling to yell. He's he's calling every play. He's calling every defensive um, set that they're in as well. Yeah, and I don't um, have to rely on that entirely. Yeah, and and if you so the thought process behind that. Like you said, the, the optimistic view is that he's doing that because he knows that they need it and they didn't have that structure previously. And even Sam Mitchell complained about how they didn't know how to get into a defensive stance. And so, you know, I think it was Steve McPherson at, I don't know if it was on ESPN 1500 or Wolf Among Wolves, talked about how the he's taking one approach to education, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, so Sam Mitchell was trying to teach them how to get into a defensive stance. Thibodeau's skipping all that and saying, 
they'll figure that part out. Let's teach them these schemes and shout at them the whole time. And, and he's challenging them to see who's going to catch up and see if they can do it. And it seems based on what we know, um, of Towns, Wiggins and Levine, especially that those guys are intelligent enough and smart enough and work hard enough to pick that stuff up, um, to, to pick up some of these more advanced, um, term terms, um, concepts. It's just, and it's a little scary that, that the issue now seems to be in-game effort and consistent effort. Um, and that was an issue some last year too. And, and again, we're talking about 21 year olds. And so there's that obvious caveat. So the, the concern for me is, is yeah, um, Thibodeau can wear on his players. And you heard that with people in Chicago, he kind of wore out his welcome, but it also was more with the front office than with players. And there's so many players that just love him. I mean, going back to Lil Dang, even if he overplayed him a ton or, um, you know, Jimmy Butler obviously loved him. John Lucas, the third, I mean, granted he wanted a job in the NBA, but he's following him, followed him around quite a bit. Um, you know, there's, there's just a long list of players that love Tom Thibodeau. And, and the question is, do the Wolves have the right mix of guys who will love Tom Thibodeau and will put up with this and learn and, and say, hey, we do want to win. So maybe maybe I'll put up with this guy yelling at me you know, for the next year or two. And then when it clicks, maybe he'll back off a little bit. Yeah. Or will that buy-in not ever really happen? And it's so hard to tell. Um, I don't want to get into the Bill Simmons reading body language of the players on the bench because you don't. there's so, much, so many factors. You just don't know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, are, and they, like, are they not having fun because of Thibodeau or just because they're not winning? Right, right, and and I'm not, and I wouldn't even say there's not total buy-in because there's stretches where, where they're all, they're all playing really hard and it's obvious and yes. and um I forget what game, game it was, but the comeback game it might have been no, nah, it wasn't the Sixers game because they lost that one, but there was a game recently where all of a sudden for like ten minutes they played just insanely good defense and everyone was scrambling and they were icing the pick and roll perfectly and they were getting out in transition, um and so on the one hand it's encouraging that they can do that, on the other hand it's concerning that hey why haven't they noticed that when they do that, that's when they win and why aren't they sustaining that? Right. Uh, and, and that's the biggest concern. Um, the, uh, the other thing I'll, uh, angle on that, I suppose is Thibodeau, the general manager, uh, which I would say is I'm tentatively positive on so far. He has not panicked and made a trade early, which I think is the right move. The worst time to trade people is when they are at their lowest value. And a lot of the players right now probably are at that point. At least wait until you get the team running better. And I expect that it will be in the second half. And if there's somebody you want to trade, you probably get more for them at that point. Yeah, no, I agree. And and that was, I think collectively, that was our biggest concern. Um, and I think the only thing you can I mean, he hasn't done anything other than the free agent signings that were pretty middle of the road at, at best. Um, all he's done is is those. He hasn't made any trades. Um, there hasn't been anything creative that's that's gone on. And, you know, if I had to bet on it, I would say it's more than 50-50 that nothing happens before the end of the year. Um, if Shabazz Muhammad, you know, he didn't play last night due to illness, but if he continues to play better, you know, I, there was a stretch where he was playing so bad I couldn't figure out why he was still playing other than the fact that Thibodeau wanted to boost some trade value for him. And I know there's not a ton of other options, but at least Brandon Rush, you know, he's going to give you. Um, and uh, and Shabazz is pretty up and down from game to game. Um, so I think I think if anything happens, Shabazz gets traded if he continues to play well and, and Thibodeau can boost his trade value. Beyond that, I don't think anyone's getting traded. I, I just don't. I don't think that they're not going to trade Gorgie Jang. They're, 
Rubio's value is low, um, even though he's been playing better generally in the last 30 days or so. Uh, and they're not going to trade one of their main three guys. And there's not much else with trade value on the team. So I think he holds on to it, maybe tries to trade a draft pick in the offseason. Um, but I don't think he does anything drastic. Yeah. The big comeback in you were thinking of the Chicago, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, they played outstanding. The first quarter was so bad. I, I was as close to turning off a game in the first quarter as I ever have been. And I've never done that before. But I was... I was real close. They were down twenty. It was like twenty six to six or yep. something. And then they, and then they came back. And and it was just the perfect microcosm of. And there's been maybe three or four of those moments this year, when you say, oh, they got it now. It clicked. Like they're gonna they're gonna run off eight straight wins and be right back in this thing. Mm-hmm. And then it just it just doesn't happen. Right. Um, well, let's go to Wiggins, the other person who uh, the fans are uh, bidding very tough on. And uh, I got to say, I, you know, I've been, I've been as tough on him as anybody, perhaps uh, in the first, first couple seasons, I was pretty skeptical of the progress he was making. And I find myself now uh, defending him a little bit because the guy's not a bust. That's not the way to look at this. He's just frustrating in how he has not made progress in certain areas. He's yeah. still pretty good. Um, positive side this year he's made threes a bigger part of his game and he's making a better percentage of them and that's good uh his assist percentage and his rebound percentage are up a little bit but it's not really that much different than than last year and that's disappointing his free throw rates down from 44 to 36 percent that's a big deal uh and you you take that game out where he scored 47 and then he went to the line 20 i don't remember how many times 23 times um and then follows it up with very few the next five games. It's just the, the maddening inconsistency. Um, uh, so it's it's the effort game to game in part, and then just you just never know if he's going to come into a game and he's going to go to the basket and make the right shots, or if he's going to settle for those ridiculous off the dribble twenty footers that drive me insane. I mean, I, I yell at my TV every time he takes one. Yep. And there's just no reason for it. It's just lazy or dumb or both. And I don't think he's dumb. I think he's a smart guy. So I think it's lazy. And that's what's so frustrating about him. Um, I did a column a couple of years ago on, on Dunking with Wolves. <clears throat> it was basically about, <clears throat> you know, if the if the Wolves' young players are going to be really good, how long is it going to take? And I did an analysis of guys who were drafted between 92 and 08, who had at least one season where they hit a, a player efficiency rating, PER, of 25 or more, which, roughly speaking, I think puts you into the superstar category. A PER of 20 makes you, I, I would say, a star, 25 a superstar. And so, I, I don't know, there were like 25, 30 of these people during that time. And all, of all those people, only Kobe Bryant uh, hit his first season of 20 PER uh, in his fourth season. All the other ones did it in their first three. Wiggins is right now under 16. He, he's actually below where he was last year. And PER is not the end-all, be-all, but it's a pretty right. good stat that talks to you about what your offensive performance is going to be. Sure. So uh, the one interesting comparison is one that's been made more and more about Wiggins lately is DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. He didn't hit 20 until his seventh season. Yeah. And this year he's just under 25. Yeah. So that can happen, but it's rare. Uh, Towns hit 20 in his first season. And I guess where I get with all of this is if I'm betting today, I'm saying that he's going to be a marginal star, but not a superstar. Yeah. Where are you? 
And I think that's fair. I think that the, I, I just think that the quote unquote hot takes about Andrew Wiggins are just all over the place because I think for a while there it was people were just too tough on him and, and Hey, the guy was 20 last year and, and look at his coach and look at his teammates and, and, you know, just because he's a little more stoic in his expressions than say towns doesn't mean that the guy doesn't care. Like that was all unfair. Um, but like you said, the, the settling for mid-range jumpers versus going to the basket at times, et cetera. That's a fair criticism of aggressiveness, I think. Um, and, and so, but now I think it's also kind of swung the other way. Like there's, there's, it just seems like you're in one camp or the other with Andrew Wiggins. You yeah. either think that, that the haters are wrong and, and he's going to be a superstar and he's so good right now. Or you think that he's going to be James Posey, like 538 famously predicted a couple of years ago. Um, or I forget the the more recent um, stat art, stat-based article that said that he was a bust. I, I can't recall who it was. It was a clickbait type thing, but there were, you know, used advanced stats to back it up. And I don't think either is true. He's he's not a he's not a good – I mean, he's a good player now, but he's certainly not anywhere near being a star. He kind of um, is DeMar DeRozan. He, he is really, and, and that's okay. It's not what he, I mean, ultimately, if he ends up where DeRozan is now, that'd be great. And I think it's kind of that marginal star range, exactly like you said. I think that, it, I think that it's okay to admit that, you know, we hoped he'd be better by now, but he is improving. And, and both of those things can be true. Um, he, the simple re- redistribution of some of those mid range shots to threes are outstanding. The problem is, and I wrote this, I forget what piece it was in, in the last couple of weeks. He hasn't really cannibalized those, those mid range shots as much as he has shooting at the rim. Exactly. You, yeah. you mentioned his free throw rate. Um, and, and I don't know what it is. I don't know, you know, he does attack the basket at times. Um, but it's, it's simply just less than it had been in the past. I mean, you look at percentage of field goal shots at the rim, almost a third of his, attempts last year were at the rim in 15 16 and this year it's down to about a quarter of them um so and where have those shots gone um he's his actually his mid-range shooting his percentage of mid-range shooting attempts is up a little bit yeah um his three-pointers are up more significantly so basically all he's done is he's taken the shots at the rim and distributed them evenly between mid-range and three-point shooting and and that really isn't a good thing. I mean, overall, it's a wash, um, but since he's not drawing free throws, it it might actually hurt him. Um, So I think, I don't know. I think you're right. I think that it's so hard to say what his best case is now because, again, he's still 21. He's in his third season, not even halfway through. Um, But I do think marginal star DeMar DeRozan territory is what we're looking at uh, as a a most likely case. Um, I don't think he's going to be a bust. It's, It's so hard to... He's already better than so many other number one overall picks that were bust. Um, it's it's just is the light bulb going to go on? Is he going to continue to to want to play for Tom Thibodeau? Um, is the rest of the team going to improve around him? Is he going to continue to improve his shooting? Um, and and I think the answer to most of those things is probably. And if that's the case, he's going to be a pretty good player. It's 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 frustrating just because I think if he would stop taking most of those off the dribble deep twos, he would instantly improve significantly. Uh, yeah. And you know you, you have to shoot some. I'm not saying you can't shoot zero, but you look at the you look at the comparison. Wiggins is shooting 46% of his shots either from three point range or within three feet of the basket. Right? Those are the yep. ideal shots. Yep. That compares to 60% for Towns and 71% for Levine. Those yep. guys, those guys have taken more of the modern NBA game to 
to, to heart and are, are trying to do something about it. Now, Towns is struggling with threes, uh, but, uh, you know, I think they're still the right shots. I don't mind them taking those. But Yeah, and the thing that I've always appreciated about Andrew Wiggins is he doesn't turn the ball over very much at all, mm-hmm. um, and his turnover rate's decreased every year while his usage rate has increased. Now, part of that is because he doesn't – I don't want to get into the whole – he doesn't pass the ball because he does. I just don't think he passes the ball – in the right spots in a lot of cases. And I don't think he's selfish by any means. I just think he doesn't, it hasn't slowed down for me out on offense. And we thought that it had for towns last year, but now that he's seen more double teams consistently, we're finding out that it turns out towns has a lot to learn in terms of, you know, when should I pass out of the double team? When should I force a shot? When should I, you know, drop a pass into the paint versus throw it back out to the perimeter? Because he's had some silly turnovers towns has. Um, simply passing out of double teams. But Wiggins, his turnover rate keeps going down while his usage rate goes up and his assist rate has inched up slightly every year. Um, and that's because I think he is starting to figure out he's not selfish and he's athletic enough to make it work. Um, it's just, you know, the decision-making isn't always there. Right. But I'd rather have a guy, you know, force a shot in the paint and try and draw a foul than turn the ball over. So um, the, the fact that he doesn't turn the ball over is, is pretty encouraging. Yeah, his, his ball handling and his passing have improved. Clearly. Yeah. They're still not very good, but I give him a lot of credit for working on him and improving it. He's just got to keep doing it. So, uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, all right. Well, let's let's hit let's hit to the other two stars, the other two 21 year olds uh, towns. We usually talk about a lot. I, I, I guess I find myself talking less about him this year because he's he's playing at about the same level as last year. It doesn't always feel like it, though, because he's he's more inconsistent. It feels like this year. Or he'll have these just monster games, and then you'll go 3 of 15. And I don't know if it's the opposition he's playing at those times. If he's still just not comfortable in, in Thibodeau's system, it kind of feels like the former, but I don't know. Um, I'm surprised about his three-point shooting. I mean, he was doing well at the beginning of the year, and he's just had a really bad stretch here. I think he should still keep doing it. Um, I think it was uh, you know, Jim Peterson on the broadcast said, you know, he should just step in and and shoot those long twos that were going in for him last year. I don't know. You can make a case for that, but I, I would rather him keep shooting the, the, the long three or shooting the threes and just keep working on it, and it'll come eventually. It's not like we're going to have to get every win this year, and I don't see any reason you can't do that long term. Uh, I mentioned uh, in terms of the article I wrote last year about uh, age to reach uh, prime territory. Again, he hit uh, he hit 20 uh, per in his first season. And uh, the uh, if you're wondering how long it takes to get to superstar range, that's the 25 plus per. Only two players did it uh, by the time they were age 21. It was Shaq and Bosh, and yep. the range was between 21 and 28 years old. Only Shaq and uh, Vince Carter did it in their second season. So he's still right on track to to, to get to that superstar range if he keeps improving. Yeah. Yeah, um, Towns, Towns is – I agree completely with what you said about him because it just doesn't feel – and last year it was because we were – well, he was really good, but we were also just pleasantly surprised because I don't think anyone ex- – nobody expected him to be as good as he was. Now, this year the expectation – and I think the biggest factor is that Towns himself is feeling those expectations, um, and Thibodeau is putting everything on the shoulders of Towns and Wiggins. Both of their usage rates have gone up significantly this year, um, and – and Towns' efficiency is, is down. Like, his per-game averages are up across the board, but all of his shooting percentages are down across the board. Mm. 
and it's because he's taking more shots and he's taking more difficult shots and he's um, somehow his turnover rate is still down just a little bit. Um, his assist rate is way up because the offense is basically running through Towns early in the game and through Wiggins late in the game um, with some a lot of pick and roll in between. Um, and then obviously Levine is kind of the offense of the second unit. Um, so I, I think that I think it's every bit as much to do with our expectations of Towns have have gone up, and Towns' expectations of himself are unrealistic. Yeah. Um, there was that stretch where after every game he was saying it's my fault, I've got to figure this yeah. out, and it's like, well, you're not the guy. Like you could be the guy, but we don't know who the guy is, and there might not be one. There's three of you that that should be stars, um, and and it's it, it was almost a little arrogant and frustrating because the unrealistic expectations of himself as a, as a barely a 21 year old in your second NBA season, you're just going to beat yourself down and not have a good year. Um, like you just gotta be realistic about it. You at the time, you know, you're 20 games in just, just relax and you'll be all right. Um, and, and I think he's done a little bit better of late. Um, but he's going to have to figure out the double team thing. Um, or, and I think he will, it's just, He's gotta. He's just gotta stick with it and not get frustrated. He's had those games, like you said, where he goes three of fifteen, three of seventeen, because he's forcing shots in the double team. But then he had the game that was a triple double a few nights ago, and, and they lost. Um, and I think teams have figured out if we can stop Towns from scoring, we can live with him passing the ball yeah. to, um, you know, Ricky Rubio and Chris Dunn and, and some of those guys. Um, and, and turns out those teams were right. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Towns will be fine. I mean, when you look at it, he's having a very, very similar year to last year, just with just with a higher usage rate. Yeah, um, that's really the biggest difference. I'm not worried at all. Um, you know, I, I, the the finishing around the rim being down is a little odd to me. Maybe that is the double teams, or I don't know. So, but sometimes he just seems to miss some more buttons than he did last year. Yeah, it's fluky. Yeah, and so I'm not worried about it long term. I think you, know, you get plenty of sophomore slumps. People have adapted to him, and I think you're right that he's he's taken a lot on. Uh, but he, you know, he's going to be fine. I think um, I don't I don't see these problems necessarily persisting. And, and he's gotten better in a number of things too. One of those is you know, what you're saying about the double teams. His assist percentage is up uh, pretty significantly from last year, and that's because he's finding more targets out of those. So uh, those will continue to improve. I think. Um, And then Zach is the other big three, taking a big jump this year in many categories. Uh, You know, he's one of the best shooters in the NBA now. We saw that before, even in his rookie year. We saw it a couple times with that Lakers game, for instance, uh, mid-season his rookie year, where he could really burn people and go for 25-30. He's doing it more consistently now. It's still not as consistent as you'd like it, but, uh, you know, he can really go off. So, you know, his trajectory now seems to be, again, not a superstar, but a, a star of some kind. And uh, I think that, that'll be just fine. He's going to be a very valuable player. As I mentioned, 71% of his shots are within three feet of the basket or three-pointers. Um, I, th- I think right now he's a better overall player than Wiggins is. He's not more talented, but a little bit better player. Yep. Uh, will that be the case in the past? I know that the, at the end of last season, I, I asked you, you know, what's the chance that Levine has a better career than Wiggins does? And I think I said like 35% and you were maybe 25, 30. Uh, and we both commented that it didn't seem like a crazy question like it would have before. Right. Um, if you had to trade one of them right now, you know, if you, some superstar became available, who would you rather, who would you least like to trade of the two? Who would I who would I prefer to trade versus not? Yes, uh, that's a tough one. It really is. I think it depends on 
on who you're getting back in return for the team fit, but I guess in a vacuum, um, man, that's tough. I think I'd prefer to keep Levine um, because and, and trade Wiggins, but, but that's really tough. I agree that Wiggins still has a higher ceiling. That said, Levine is closer to what I think he can be. Um, and he, if he's already a 40% plus three-point shooter now, um, you know, you add a couple other things to his game, he becomes a better defender. And he is he is a, a third star, maybe even a second star on a contending a championship contending team. Wiggins still has the talent to be that number one guy, but but Levine needs to go less far to get to his ceiling than Wiggins needs to go from today. Um, and and worst case with Levine now is you've got a guy who's going to be he's essentially performing in a sixth man role right now, leading the second unit offense. And granted the second unit has been bad, but that there's nobody else on that unit that has played well. Um, so worst case is you've got a guy who's going to knock down threes at a high rate. Um, and it's going to be a, a super role player, a super bench guy. If he somehow plateaus from here on out. Um, whereas with Wiggins, I think you've got a high usage guy who, who everybody's going to think is more than a, ben- a bench guy. And, and he is, but, um, if he plateaus, he's not going to reach anywhere near where he needs to get. So um, I think in a vacuum, I, I keep Levine, which, you know, if I had known that I was going to say that a year ago, I would have I would have laughed at myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is a tough call. I, and I think your analysis is right that Wiggins does have a higher upside and that uh, Levine doesn't have as far to go. I think Levine can improve mostly just his basketball IQ and his defense. And he is making strides in those areas, but he can become a better playmaker, just know what the right play is to make and know how to do the team defense. He can still make some significant strides there on the offensive side, less so. Um, but it may be that the you know if you ran 100 simulations in the future, his median uh, it might be higher than Wiggins. Yeah. But uh, you know again the the, the peak is going to be higher for Wiggins too. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a decision we have to make at this point, obviously, or ever, really. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is you just have to decide. It, it's it's actually about perfect. The the three of those Towns, Levine, and Wiggins are very different from each other, and they should fit together very well long term. You just have to fill in the right guys around them. And is Gorgie Jang that guy? You know, I think he's I think he's a fantastic third big. I don't know if he's the ideal starter next to Carl Anthony Towns. Um, but in today's NBA, what they paid him is about right for a third big, who's one of the better third bigs in the league. Um, so the question is, do you have to find a guy like a Paul Millsap to put next to Towns, um, which I think they have interest in doing, but I don't think they'll be able to get him without giving somebody up oh, yeah. significantly. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, but I, I think – I don't think they will trade any of the three of them, and I, I don't think that they need to. Uh, but that could change when it comes time to pay all of them here in a year or two. Yeah. Well, let's let's segue to Gorgie here. Uh, you know, I, I don't. There's not a whole lot of change in his game uh, from previous years. It's actually statistically his weakest season, not by much. Um, but he's still a valuable role player. Uh, the interesting thing about it, you know, when he gained 30 pounds in the off season, I was wondering how that would affect his game, and I haven't seen a whole lot uh, of it helping him on the defensive end. But it may help him with positioning. Uh, keeping his, you know, his position against uh, offensive players and with his stamina, but you know, I think he largely still is what he is. Have you seen anything different? No, I think I think he's a solid. You know, like we said, he's a solid, solid third big. He's a good passer, although he's had the ball in his hands less. He's become more of a. Uh, I mean, they don't run the run plays through him at all. I know very early in his career, Adelman and, and even a little bit Saunders tried to get the ball in his hands in the high post a little bit. Um, or run more pick and rolls with him than they even are now. 
Um, but as a hang out in the mid range and knock down an open shot when the defense collapses type guy, he's been really good. Because he's usually um, open. <laughs> he's usually open, and and I think it was his second year. He had the best the best mid range field goal percentage in the entire NBA. Um, which that's as a side note, that's one of my least favorite things is when I watch. Um, I might watch an opposing team's uh, yeah. broadcast on League Pass, and Jeng makes a shot, and they say, he's not much of a shooter. And, <laughs> yeah. and they make some comment about how, you let him shoot that. He got lucky on that one. I can't remember who it was. It was just a, a couple weeks ago. Um, there are a lot of bad answers, unfortunately. Oh, it's so bad. Like it does, It's not that hard to, to do a quick research and see who's a good shooter and who's not. <laughs> um, you know, even if that's all you do, spend 10 minutes on it. But anyways, he... As of late, he hasn't been as good from mid-range, but he's been very consistent overall over the past three-plus years. Um, so, yeah, I think he is what he is. He's already 27. Um, um, he can be a starter on a playoff team, but I think he's best served as the third big on a, on a, on a true contender. Um, and I do think extending him was the right move. Um, I don't recall if we talked about that or not, but um, I do think that was the right thing to do. Uh, he's the rich man's Dante Cunningham, as I believe. Oh, that's good. I like that. He's bigger than Dante. All oh, right, that's what I mean. Rich man, he's got he's better than Dante, but he right. does he's perform some he's of better. the same functions. Like Dante would always hit those those two those open twos. That was his yep. game, right? Yep. Um, and then that leaves us uh, with Ricky Rubio, who is having his worst season, except maybe 2014-15. But he only that was when he had that bad ankle injury. He only played 22 games, so it's not really a good comparison. Right. But his assist percentage, steal percentage, uh, player efficiency rating, and usage rates are the lowest of his career. His turnover percentage is the highest of his career. Uh, he's looked tentative and lost in Thibodeau's system at times. He's better lately. Maybe that's just adapting to things. Uh, but that's all understandable. Everybody's adapting. There's a, there are a lot of differences now between what uh, Mitchell was doing and Flip was doing and what Thibodeau wants. So you expect some of that. Um but you know, so I'm. I think he'll. I think he'll get, continue to get better as the season goes along. Um, but he, I, I still see too many of those unforced errors and big plays. You saw another one against Washington last night, where right at the beginning of the game, where throwing those deep passes, way too many of those get picked off by the other team, and yeah. the play's just not there. Um, so you know. He still knows how to run an offense. He's still valuable, but uh, it's not. He's not where he was. Yeah, it's it's been really weird. I think I think the most confusing season has been Rubio's by far. Um, part of it is the system is very different. Um, he has the ball in his hands a lot less, which obviously makes no sense. It, if you look at in terms of what his his um, his skill set is built around is having the ball in his hands. And so um, that's a, a little bit confusing. And he spent a lot of time as a spot-up shooter, which we all know isn't his strength. Um, but it's it's obviously understandable that Tibbs wants to play to the strengths of his best players and, and the players that should be superstars. Um, Rubio's three-point percentage, if you throw out that weird ankle surgery year, is the worst of his career. But he's taking as many as, of them as he ever has. But his two-point percentage is easily the best of his career. Um, and he's taking far less of them. So I think I don't. I, it's so hard to tell what what that means for his. It seems like he is knocking down mid range jumpers most of the time. He takes them now, um, but he isn't taking them as much, which I think is a good thing. Um, so it, the the shot is it's so weird. It's so hard to tell if he's improving, getting worse, staying the same, um, because he goes on these streaks and he always hits big shots. Yeah, I mean, you can think of maybe five. Yeah, I mean. 
the Philadelphia game. There was one other game this year, um, uh, the the game against the Thunder last year, going back to his rookie year against the Clippers. I mean, there's four or five of those. There was that game against Memphis two years ago that they won um, towards the end of the year. Um, there, there's been five, six games in his career where he's knocked down a big three in the final 30 seconds of a game to win or tie, uh, go ahead or tie the game. Um, but it's it's so weird. Um, and his assist rate being down is concerning. Steal rates also down, um, and turnovers are up. So yeah, it's I do agree that he has played better of late and he will play better moving forward. Um, and and I've been I've been impressed with Thibodeau's ability to stick with Rubio over Dunn, even when Dunn had that hot stretch. And I think he's done a good job. There's been two or three games where Dunn's played the whole fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and I think those games have been justified because yeah. Dunn was playing better than Rubio, and you can't argue with that. If it's if it's obvious and if Rubio has been struggling, then you stick with Dunn. But overall, giving Rubio more minutes and, and understanding that he's still the better NBA player um, and kind of going against some of those different media reports we saw early in the year that after 20 games, Dunn would be the starter and, and all that. Um, I think that it's been handled correctly. Yeah. Um, I just wish that they both had played better so far. Um, so we'll see where it ends up. That's going to be an interesting, maybe the most interesting thing to watch here down the stretch is if at some point they make a switch and Dunn's the starter, if they look to trade Rubio, um, if they trade Tyus Jones, because that's that's another interesting situation. Um, because they do have a little bit of a logjam of, of apparently, you know, some players that have played pretty average this year. Um, this is incidental, and I don't think it's actually important, but have you seen a highlight reel pass from Ricky this season where in one of those only he could make that play? Because I don't recall one. I mean, there's been some good ones, but. Yeah, I think there's been like. There's been like two. I mean, there were there. I think there was a uh, between the defender's legs. There was one that was like a, a baseline backspin to the corner, and then maybe a couple of those outlets. But you're right. Um, and and you could say the same thing about last year. There wasn't much last year either. Mm. It's almost like after his ankle injury, um, he became so focused on on his shot and so concerned. I, and and my theory is is that consumes him so much his his shooting ability that he's afraid to play with that same, you know, you always hear about people talking about the joy that he played with as a rookie and, and back in Europe. Um, and it's really sad because you feel like, and, and you see Rubio in warmups and you hear about the media talking about how he knocks down every shot in warmups. Um, and, and you just, you feel bad for the guy because if he could just, if it could click in games, it would open up everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a great point. I mean, it's, I think it's just cause he's so consumed by his shot and he's so worried that, When's the next time I'm going to have to shoot the ball? And that's the worst possible mentality to have, and I think that affects the rest of his game. Let's do uh, some quick hits on the bench since we're uh, getting short on time, maybe just a little bit on each of these people. Shabazz, we already mentioned, um, it's one of those guys who, as I think about it, who works really hard, but he, he only seems to know one path to do things. So if there's a wall in the way, he's just going to ram into it again and again. Um, and I, I, I like the guy, and... But um, I don't know. The, the recent uh, binge on three-point shooting has been a big deal. If that lasts, that will be significant for the rest of the season. But he still has many of the same pros and cons he had before. Yeah, and, and you know, I've never been as big of a Shabazz guy as you. I just think he's he's just such a weird player. Um, and to, to kind of hand the keys of your second unit to him along with Zach Levine is, is scary because every time he touches the ball, he's going he's gonna to shoot it. And some of the time, that's a good thing. But I mean, he gets. It seems like he gets at least one charge call every game, because mm-hmm. um, the officials now just know that he's out of control when he goes to the basket. And so if it's fifty-fifty, the call is going to go against him. Um, he's he's failed to understand what you know to 
to learn how to use a jump stop or, um, you know, it just, that, that drives me crazy. Um, and if he gets an offensive rebound, he, it's impossible for him to kick it back out. I don't think he's a fit moving forward. I think Tibbs is playing him because he doesn't have a lot of other options and he thinks he has, he's the player with the most trade value that he'd be, the Tibbs is most willing to trade. So I think that that's the ideal scenario is you can move him for something, even if it's a, uh, you know, a bench player and a pick or, or something um, and get some value out of him. Um, or it could be he's waiting until this summer and he's going to package him with a pick and trade him. I'm fine with what Chris Dunn has done so far. Uh, he plays defense hard. He has his flashes where he just looks great. He has the, you know, he has that uh, quick acceleration in transition where the defense is not paying attention and he just blows by everybody to the basket. Uh, he gets a few of those. He, he, he makes some great passes here and there. Uh, shows some shooting ability, and I think he's a really good finisher at the rim. Obviously, he's got many problems in his game, inconsistency, not quite understanding the NBA game, following too much, do, doing various things. But I'm, I'm fine with where he is, and I think that the I'm still optimistic about where he's going. Yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised with Dunn. Um, <clears throat> I think I think I maybe expected a little bit. I hope for a little bit more, given that he's 22, played four years of college, um, but the how fast he is in transition and just how good of a defender he is are the biggest things for me. Um, he, I wish his assist rate was higher. Um, I mean, like he, 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 his assist rate for a point guard who, who leads the second unit. And I can, I get that the ball's in Levine's hands a lot. It should be better. Um, but I think a lot of that comes with recognition of, of how to play in the NBA, um, and how to play in the open floor in the NBA. Um, but defensively he's been great. Um, he's been good enough as a shooter to to at least you feel like he's he's got a shot, you know, at making the shots that he's taking. Um, so I've, I've been pretty pretty pleasantly surprised with him. Obviously, overall he hasn't played well, um, but again, he's a rookie um, and he's playing point guard. So it's going to take a year or two before he can even be a starting caliber player. Um, and I, I think Tibbs realizes that. Nemanja mm-hmm. Bilica. Uh... I think a lot of a lot of us had higher hopes for him coming into the season. I will say at least he's become less tentative on taking shots somewhat, yep. but he throws up a lot of wild ones. I've never seen a guy who's that good an outside shooter do so many air balls. Um, yep. But he can get hot. He just hasn't been. He haven't had a lot of hot streaks this year. Uh, I, you know, uh, but the the offense does run better with him in as well. So he has some value. It's just he just hasn't put it together yet, and I'm, I'm not sure why. Yeah, and he's he's been far more aggressive than I expected, which is great. Um, I, I did expect that he'd be more of the second unit offense um, than he has been, and I think part of that is because Levine's played so well, and so the offense is centered around him, and, and rightfully so. But I, I was expecting a little bit more Beely to playing with the first unit, playing alongside Towns, um, playing some pick and roll with him as the ball handler. I think some of those items were things that we were expecting to see, but then the team tanked so hard at the beginning of the year that any of those kind of – more outlandish ideas were kind of shelved and they're just trying to win some games. Um, but I think that he could be, I think that he'll be around. He's got one more year in his contract. I think he sticks around because I think Tibbs likes him. Um, and as he gets more comfortable with the NBA, I think he's, you know, if he can shoot 37, 38% from three and also still take the ball to the basket, like he's been doing, um, he's a valuable bench player. I think we just expected a little more. Cole Aldrich, um, why is he not playing? I mean, there's two possibilities. One, that Thibodeau doesn't like the way he's playing. And two, because he doesn't have the – it's not the right matchup for a traditional big man. If it's a matchup issue 
Why did you sign him in the first place? Right. It's not like this is the what you're seeing is a surprise out there. And right. if it's uh, not liking the way he's playing, you know, okay, I guess I can see some of that. But I think he's done a lot of good things when he's been on the floor. He, he gets a lot of rebounds. He, he changes some shots. Maybe he's making the wrong defensive rotations at times and things like that. But he's he's had value. So, but I think like the other guys, he needs to have some minutes to work that sort of thing out. So I don't I don't get what's going on with Cole. Yeah, I mean he's played really well. If you look at some of the uh, the advanced numbers, obviously in very limited minutes, he's he's one of the better players on the team. Um, but I do think it's mostly matchups. I think it's um, he doesn't. I don't think he's played maybe at all with Towns on the floor. Mm. Um, and so part of it is simply he's Towns backup, and, and Towns is you know averaging 35 minutes a game. So um, the fact that Aldridge is averaging about 12 makes sense. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, um, and then a little bit of it is matchups. If he keeps, if Gorgie's not in foul trouble, and, and Tibbs keeps Gorgie on the floor, um, but I agree, Aldrich should be on the floor a little bit more. Um, realistically, we thought he'd be a 15, 16 minute a game guy, and he's getting a little less than 12. So, um, I think it's more of the what was it four um, DNP CDs that he had um, in a row or Something so, like four that, out of five yeah. games. Um, that was a little surprising. A couple of those were matchups, but then it's almost like he just kind of forgot to play him. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think he should he should his minutes should get bumped up a little bit and and I think that would take some of the burden off towns. It'd be different if Aldrich wasn't playing well, then then you understand it, but he has been playing well. Yeah. Um so hopefully we see a little a little more of, of Aldrich in the second half. And the rest of the bench is not playing too much. Tyus has yeah. been quite good in the minutes that he has played. He's still gonna yeah. be a big defensive liability because he's just so small and slight and he doesn't have a lot of foot speed. But he's done the he's run the offense very well and, and shot as well. So I do think he he's a legit NBA player and has some value. Uh, you know, Brandon Rush has not done a whole lot. He's not played in a lot of games. Last night, I think he got that chance and said, you know what, I want some more playing time, and he had a good game as a result. Yeah, he did. But you know, I I, I think my first instinct on him was yes, just another guy. So far, has been correct, but I hope hopefully he can be better later in the season. And I'm not sure what you know hasn't been a lot of playing time for anybody else. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about about the roles of the people that that Thibodeau signed, um, mostly from uh, from the perspective of he's the guy in charge of signing people, and what did he sell them on to come to Minnesota, and then now they're not playing. Um, and it'd be different if they were guys like, say, Andre Miller or Tayshaun Prince last year, who you knew that they were at the end of their career, and they knew that, and they were coming off of you know modest seasons prior. But Brandon Rush um, played rotation minutes on – the best regular season team in NBA history. Um, Jordan Hill was on a decent team and, and had had a good year, started a lot of games. Um, and who, oh, Aldrich was on a playoff team at, at one of the top backups for the Clippers. So these guys were coming from situations where they played well and had good previous seasons and could, would have had other options. And we know that some of them did. And they chose to come to Minnesota because Tibbs sold them on whatever it was. Um, and at least Rush and, uh, and Hill were only one-year deals. Um, you know what are what are the other free agents going to say if if Tibbs is trying to sell them on Minnesota and they say well you play Jordan Hill five out of the first thirty six games how do I know you're going to play me um, and, and and being that he's the guy who's pitching the free agents and the main guy in addition to Scott Layden but also setting the rotation I'm a little concerned that that could have some effect on on some of those middle tier guys that he's trying to obviously it's different if it's a superstar. But realistically, who are you going to get in free agency to augment your team? You're going to get some of those middle tier guys, maybe maybe upper middle tier like a Lowell Dang um, type tier. So 
is there going to be some – are people going to think he's being disingenuous in the free agent recruiting process? Um, that's a, a little bit of a concern to me. Um, <clears throat> Jordan Hill had some quotes recently where he basically said, yeah, I'm a little surprised I'm not playing more. I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Brandon Rush thought he'd play more. Um, Aldrich is playing a little bit less than he probably thought. So that's a concern to watch, and you know we're not going to know that until summer or the following year or, or whatever. Um, but that's a little bit of a concern yeah, for me. It's, it's a good point about um... – about playing time that doesn't get mentioned a lot. It's it's not just an issue of tiring out the superstars by playing them so many minutes. It's that the the bench players aren't going to want to be there, yep. uh, or want to be there less as a result. So good good point to think that point out. Um, I'm going to give you a free headline, incidentally, uh, that you can use whenever it happens. Whenever Perfect. whenever Adrian Payne is finally traded or or released from the team, the headline is Minnesota pain free for the first time in years. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So, so you can have it. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's my, it's my Christmas gift to you. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's end up with a, a couple of predictions just broadly on the topics we've been talking about. I think, you know, I, I, I do think this is going to be a better second half team. Could be significantly, but at some point stuff is going to start to click. It's maybe not all going to be at once, but at some point the defense will, the, the, the offense will more. Uh, things will for certain players or keep getting used to each other. And I think they'll have a, a couple of positive winning streaks. Uh, it's just a question of when those happen. Um, so what do you expect in the second half? And then also, where do you expect them to draft? I'm going to guess maybe around 10. Okay. Um, that's a pretty good guess. I, I think as far as second half, I still think they end up with over 30 wins. Um I mean, they're not quite halfway through the season now, so what? Um, they're 36 games in, so quick math. Say they win a couple of their next five, it gets them to 13 wins, so they'd be on pace for 26. I think they still win 33, 33 games. Um, I think that part of it is the flukiness. You mentioned the expected win loss of 16 and 20, which is five games better than what it is now, um, plus natural development by the players getting used to the coach, those things happened last year. The one thing you want to look out for is is guys getting tired of losing and, and already getting sick of the coach. That's a slight concern, but if you win two, three games in a row, guys are going to be excited and they're going to want to keep winning. And I do think there's going to be a hot streak, whether it's eight out of nine games or six in a row or something. That's going to happen. Um, I haven't looked at the schedule to see if there's a soft spot after the you know at some point here, but I do think they're going to win over 30 games. I'll call it 33 um, which I guess that would put them in that same range that you mentioned, um, maybe 10 to 12 drafting. Um, I think that that's, that's certainly a possibility. Okay. Well, uh, this is going to I, I need to step away, so this is going to be my last podcast, but I much appreciate doing these 34 with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, you know when we continue this podcast, we'll have you on as a special guest in the future. <laughs> maybe maybe when, uh, when they make the finals. Uh, yes, so uh, that'll be next year, right? Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe, give or take, another four or five. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, pleasure, as always. Um, you can find us dunkingwithwolves.com. Justin Chardon and Dan Beacon, uh, been great talking to you. Uh, have a good day.